week's episode is brought to you by Support the Mountain's Herbal Parasite Cleanse. This formula targets the small and large intestinal tracts and larvae, the most broad-spectrum formula available today. 100% organic, formulated by Dr. Mikio Sanki, author of the Esoteric Acupuncture Series. For 10% off your first bottle, visit shopyogahub.com and use the coupon code CLEANSE at checkout. Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. Greetings, Christina, and greetings, everyone else. Welcome to Magical Medical <laughs> Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Woolman. I'll be your host along with Christina today as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy in search of optimal health. And it's specifically important today because this is going to be a talk about optimal health and healing. Mm, that's the fun part. <laughs> yes, with one of our very favorite people, Kathy Groover, Dr. Groover. Yay! So anybody that wants to get in touch with us today, how can they do that? Well, at any time during this show, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Um, or if you're brave, <laughs> you can call us at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Now, um, as you might know, these shows, uh, this might be a year out when you're watching this. And you can still leave us a comment or a question, and we will make sure that we will try to get it over to our guest or Dr. Woolman. So please feel free to do so. Again, type it into the box and make sure you click submit or give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. And be sure to leave your name and contact information so that we um, can get back to you. Thank you, Glenn. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you, Christina. So today is going to be interesting. We're, gonna, we're going to turn some uh, roles today. Uh, those of you that have watched our show uh, in the past, uh, episodes 58, I think 63 and 89 with Dr. Kathy Groover, if you watch those shows, they were about uh, healing through bo body, mind, and spirit, uh, massage therapy, and natural healing. You would also know that she was an author, uh, an award-winning author, actually, She's a lecturer, she's a natural healer, she's a licensed massage therapist, a Reiki master, and so many other things. If that's what we were going to talk about, that's how I would introduce her. But today is going to be very special. Kathy went through uh, a recent healing, so she's, uh, she's been a patient. And mm -hmm. we thought it would be very interesting. Every once in a while, we talk from the other side of the, of the role Usually it's about healers. Sometimes it's about being healed. Today we're going to talk about being healed with Kathy. So I'd like to introduce everyone to Dr. Kathy Groover, the patient. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Kathy. It's great to have you on the show again. Oh, thanks. It's great to be back, guys. And patient is not a role I'm totally comfortable with. So this is a good one. This is good. <laughs> well, that's why we're going to do that. I don't want you always to be comfortable. I mean, we've seen We've been on uh, three other episodes with you where you've been totally comfortable and given us a lot of information. So it's always good to uh, be, as a healer, go through some kind of a healing process. Uh, people always say that to me. They say, oh, it makes you a better doctor, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I think it does, although in certain cases, you know, good doctors are good doctors uh, no matter what they go through. But it certainly gives insight into... Uh, the process of healing, and that's what we're going to be speaking about today. 
So are you comfortable with that? I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So in order to be healed from something, somebody has to have something. Right? <laughs> it's, it's a good place to start, yeah. <laughs> it's a good place to start. So, uh, and usually in medicine and working with the body, anatomy, physiology, chemistry, something goes wrong. And for a while, the body takes care of that. But at a certain point, the body can't take care of it anymore. And something either, usually it's a painful process or something limited range of motion or something is not functioning correctly. So let's go to the very beginning of your process and you're starting at normal and then suddenly you noticed something was wrong. How did, how did that happen? How did this all present to you? Yeah, and this happened a long time ago. This is from an injury I had probably when I was about 20. Um, I worked my favorite job ever uh, at Domino's Pizza and I was stocking shelves, and a gallon can of pasta sauce fell off a, a shelf, and the edge of it hit the joint of my big toe. Lots of swear words emanated from my mouth, and I just went on with the rest of my day, you know. Uh, and at 20, you don't think, oh, geez, I'm going to feel that someday. Um, and I just kind of went on with it. I kept dancing. I kept running. I kept doing all the things that I normally would have done. And it wasn't until probably seven or eight years ago that I started to notice I had a little bit of pain in that joint. And um, sometimes wearing high heels for a long period of time bothered me, or if I'd step wrong, if there was an uneven curb, that sort of thing, it really started to hurt. And I, I had the thought for a brief moment of, oh, no, I wonder if I have gout. Um, but I did not have gout. I knew I didn't really have the symptoms of gout. And my primary care doctor looked at it and said, yeah, you know, it just it seems to be a little bit tight. And, you know, there's not much we can do about it. So I kind of let it go um, until it got worse and worse and worse. And like you said, the body can only handle something for so long. And one of the body's defense mechanisms is bone spurs, <laughs> and then they can get out of hand. So I ended up with two really large bone spurs in the big toe joint, and they were bumping into each other. So anytime I try to like raise up on my toe, um, the bone spurs would hit, and it wouldn't go any further. And it caused me tremendous amount of pain, lack of range of motion, uh, and it was really inhibiting my ability to dance, my ability to hike, my ability to uh, wear the shoes that I like to wear. And so I thought it was time to do something about it. When, how, first of all, so that I always like to get an image of the process here, which foot was it? My right foot. So it was the top, something fell on the top of your big toe right at that yep. joint, uh, which would yep. be for uh, the scientists and everyone else to teach them, it would be the metatarsophalangeal joint, right? Up, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll vouch for this, that. This one. <laughs> this one. But on my but on my foot. I can right. pick that up too if you see it. Right. Yeah. No, I don't yeah. I know it's a metatarsal joint. Yeah. But that's sure that we'll go with that one. Yeah. So it the edge of it <laughs> the edge of it hit right on the, where those two bones meet in that uh joint that you just said. And uh yeah, it was probably swollen for a couple of days way back then. But you know, I mean I was twenty. You don't think about it. You just work through it, and the pain goes away, and that's okay, the past. So, but let's stay right in, in that 20 for a little while because we're trying to give information to people about injuries and illnesses. Uh -huh. So in, when you first got hurt, did you do anything about it or just walked it off, put a little ice on it or nothing? What are the kind of things that you did for it specifically other than ignoring it? 
Yeah, you know, honestly, back then, I think I probably just ignored it. Um, now I know I should have put ice on it. I probably would have grabbed my Arnica gel um, or my Arnica cream or something like that, or even some homeopathic Arnica. But I was in the middle of the shift. And at 20, when you're you know barely making minimum wage, you just sort of power through that. And so that probably wasn't the smartest idea. I don't know how much care I could have given it then that would have maybe changed the outcome now. You know, I can't predict that because it's been... 24 years since that happened. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure I just ignored it. If anything, I maybe popped an Advil, but I don't remember specifically doing anything to help myself at that moment. Okay. So you didn't do anything, but now in learning back, you would have done a few things. So how yeah. long after the initial injury did it take for it to assume you got better or did it never get better? Oh, it totally got better. Um, it okay. totally got better. I do remember the following day, once again, back at Domino's Pizza, kind of going up on my toes to reach a high shelf. And I remember hearing this pop, feeling like a crack in that joint and um, having serious pain. Uh, that almost hurt more than the um, than the can falling on it. So I remember that happening. I don't think I, I mean, I, I could still walk on it fine. I was still dancing. I didn't think I had broken anything. So it didn't seem a serious thing to me. You know, it hit on a joint, not on the center of a bone. So I figured, well, you know, over time that'll just get better. So I, I kind of let it go. And yeah, it didn't hurt me for decades. And then, like I said, probably six or seven years ago, it, it really flared up and I went, okay, this is now becoming a problem. Gotcha. So when did you finally go to the doctor? I probably mentioned it about five or you know, probably six years ago to my primary care. I just said, hey, you know, my toe's been bothering me. You know, I don't think it's gout. Can you run the blood test to be sure? Uh, and then he then explained, you know, that gout was typically linked to a high-protein diet. So people who are meat eaters, organ meat, lots of alcohol, those types of things. Uh, typically, for some reason, <clears throat> excuse me, middle-aged men tend to be the ones, you know, uh, to thought to, to get gout. So he said, I probably wasn't a candidate for someone who had gout, but he did the blood test and it came out fine, which is good because I'm a meat eater and I like my wine. So that would have been a bummer. But, um, you know, and that was all he did. He, he said, there's nothing else that can be done. So I went, oh, okay. I guess this is something I have to live with. Were x-rays taken? I'm guessing not at this point. No, no. <clears throat> okay. So you now know you don't have gout. Were you doing anything to take care of the healing in any way or the pain or any of the limited motion other than just live with it? Yeah, I was at that point because I realized that the tendon on the bottom of my foot, the plantar tendon, was incredibly tight. And because I was dancing four or five, sometimes six days a week, and because I'm a massage therapist and I stand all day and I tend to wear really good shoes, I either wear tennis shoes or some sort of loafer that has some support. I don't, I don't walk around in bare feet. Um, I found that tendon was getting tight and that if I would roll my foot on a golf ball. I have a crystal egg I actually keep on the floor of my office that I stand on or I'll, you know, I'll find a good trigger point and I'll, I'll stand my weight on it. Um, it would loosen up and the toe joint would feel better. So I thought, okay, maybe it's not a bone spur. Maybe it's nothing like that. Maybe it's simply plantar fasciitis. And so I would ice. Um, I would try to stretch it. I noticed the range of motion was starting to be limited. And I think really the rolling on the golf ball the standing on that static thing actually gave me quite a bit of relief. Um, and even now I still do that. I keep, I keep this uh, crystal egg on my floor and occasionally I'll slip off a shoe and stand on it during a, during a massage, but it really helped. It helped for a long time. And then it didn't, <laughs> it kind of stopped, stopped as quickly as it, as it quickly as it helped. It also stopped helping. 
It seems to be with a lot of uh, soft tissue injuries, uh, muscle tendons, ligaments, things like that. A lot of people now are doing different types of rolling uh, on the, you know, the Pilates. They do a, a lot of that, and there's a lot of instruments out there and a lot of pieces of equipment now that allow people to uh, roll on a over a muscle or a tendon, and sometimes that seems to give great relief. So, what was your next step? What made what took you to the point where you needed to go back to the doctor that said there's nothing else we can do? Yeah, I had actually, um, I talked to my chiropractor about it. I had um, tried icing it, which, you know, sort of helped. But, you you know, I, at that point, I didn't really have the diagnosis of bone spur. So the ice was not doing tons. Um, I had gone to do some cold laser therapy, which didn't really help a lot. And the gentleman, you know, very logically said, well, how much are you dancing? And I said, oh, you know, five or six days a week. And he said, okay, I think I see your problem. You're going to have to stop dancing. And I went, I don't think you understand the problem. I can't stop dancing. <laughs> so um, that, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. As oftentimes, you know, we have doctors and practitioners that say things we don't want to hear. Um, whether it's the right advice or not, we have very, you know, we have our, our ways stuck in our heads and there are certain things we are willing and aren't willing to do. And I knew six weeks without six weeks without dance, though it might help my toe, was not going to help any other aspect of my life. So um I just suffered through it for a while. And it got to the point where I was literally I was limping out of dance class. I couldn't walk normally afterwards because my toe didn't bend. So I couldn't have that roll of the foot where I push off my big toe to take the next step. Um, I couldn't jump in dance class. So there were certain moves that, that I couldn't do. And I was finally talking to um, my chiropractor and I said, you know, does your brother do, he has a, a brother who's an orthopedic. I said, does your brother do anything with feet? And he goes, no. And I wasn't pleased from what I heard about any of the podiatrists um, here. So I talked to the orthopedic and I said, you know, do you have a recommendation for a foot guy? I said, I don't want a podiatrist. And he said, oh yeah, if this great orthopedic, he specializes in feet and ankles, athletes and dancers. And I went, perfect. Went to see him. He did an x-ray, showed me this gigantic set of bone spurs, and I went, oh, that's why ice isn't helping. Okay. So, and that was mid-last year. So, mid-2013, I went and and saw the orthopedic for the first time. Okay. So, before we get to the orthopedic, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I do want to say that there are, you know, podiatrists that do excellent work. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> and I want to make sure that we're clear on that, that just like there are orthopedists that do excellent work, but sometimes you can get one specialist who just may be better in something than something else. But I, I want to stay in a, an area that I think is really important for people, in an area where you have something that hurts, but you have a lifestyle that you believe is important for your body, mind, and spirit, or at least for mind and spirit in this particular case, not necessarily body. <clears throat> it's one of the most difficult things to do to get somebody to, even for a, a brief period of time, to stop something, but to take somebody and ask them to change their lifestyle for the sake of a healing or prevention of something. What, what have you learned in that process, and how do you work with your clients who have something that you see is wrong, and, and obviously it's partly related to something they continuously do to injure it, and you would like them to stop? What's your process there? 
Yeah, and I actually just had this conversation with a client this morning. We were talking about piriformis syndrome and how hard that is to get that to heal. Piriformis is a muscle that runs down through, you know, in the in the glute area. And uh, runners, people who do especially uphill and downhill running or have had an injury or a fall on that area tend to get a piriformis syndrome. And it's really hard to get that to go away unless you stop the activity. Um my hesitancy to stop dancing was only in part, I was kind of kidding, was only in part of the fact that if I don't dance, I go crazy. Um, it was also the fact that walking bothered it, um, certain shoes bothered it. If I would stub my toe, like if I would hit a curb wrong, whereas normally you just go, oh, okay, I, you know, I, I kicked the sidewalk. It put me through the roof. Um, so it wasn't just the dancing. I know I'm sure the dancing wasn't helping, but I knew that even if I stopped dancing, it wasn't going to solve the problem. Um, so I think there's that balance point there of saying, you know, okay, clearly only when I play tennis, this is a problem. Maybe you want to stop playing tennis for a while. <laughs> you know, there's there's that balance point to me. And I don't know where it is, um, but I've been met res- with resistance from tons of people who have really overworked themselves into a, a horrible state of injury. You know, I had a girl that ran so much, she ended up with stress fractures in her femur. That's really hard to do. Um, so you want to find that place of balance. And having had a few weeks off of dance and the toe not changing at all, I knew that probably wasn't the solution to the problem and it was a larger issue. Um, there's also been times I have stopped doing things because I knew it was causing problems. So you have to find that point of balance and see what you do and don't want to live with and weigh the options of what long-term that's going to do to you. If it causes you to heal two weeks slower, that's one thing than permanent damage where you can never walk again. So I think you have to be logical about it and you have to look at your limitations and know that as we grow older and our bodies change, we do have to make some concessions on what we can and can't do. And I know I'm going to do my best to dance until I, you know, drop over and I'm leaving this planet. Um, but maybe I can't, you know, and, and someday I'll have to face that issue where maybe hip hop is not what I'm doing four days a week. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Christina, any thoughts so far? Ouch. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, uh, that's amazing that, that I, I'm surprised that no one even took an x-ray even earlier than that. Yeah. I mean, because it sounds like it was really painful. And I mean, any thoughts of arthritis or anything like that go through? Well, I, I had thought back and I remembered that injury. Um, because it seemed to, you know, you suddenly go, oh my God, this came out of nowhere. Where'd it come from? And I really had to think back to go, oh, hey, remember that time at Domino's Pizza when the can fell on your foot? You know, I mean, that was a long time ago and we don't always have the ability to go back and remember that inciting incident from two decades previously. You know, I'm surprised it, it stuck in my mind as, as being there. Clearly it left an impact in more way than one. Uh, but you know, I, I didn't you know, I, I tried to self-diagnose. I do that all the time um, <laughs> because I can't help it. I've got, you know, just as many medical books as probably half the libraries I know. Um, so I, I pondered what it was and I did some natural things because, of course, I, I'm of that way. If it's not a life-threatening thing, if you've watched the other shows I've been on, you know, I recommend natural first, least invasive first. Um, I toyed with the idea of do I want to do a cortisone shot and then went, yeah, but that's not going to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um 
symptom, you know, symptom relief is fabulous, but I I really want to get to the root of the issue, which is when I finally said, okay, this is ridiculous. Um, My husband and I were on a cruise and we're walking around the Bahamas and I can barely walk. And as we're about to get on the cruise ship, you know, they have the gang, the gangway, the gangplank or whatever they call it, that you, the metal ramp that you walk up on to get back on the cruise. And it was like a two inch rise. And my toe hit it as I was going up the thing. And this pain went up my shin into my, I mean, I was literally standing there in tears and I have the pain threshold of some large mammal that doesn't exist on this planet anymore. And when my husband turned around and saw me with tears streaming down my face, he went, okay, that hurt. Because you know, when I'm crying from pain, it's like everyone else is 15. So it was, it was crazy painful. And that's kind of when I went, okay, I got to deal with this. This is, I can't live like this anymore. It's ridiculous. That's fantastic. A pain went from your toe all the way to your husband's brain. (laughs) (laughs) We've been married a long time. We're not connected. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) So, so Kathy, um, if you, let's just say we roll the clock back or if someone does have such an injury and, and no matter what age they are in their youth, if you had done something about it, then do you think it would have circumvented what's going on now? You know, I don't know the mechanism of bone spurs. I mean, that's probably more a question for Glenn than me. Um, I think because there was damage to that joint, I think over time the bone spurs probably would have formed anyway. Um, I don't know that if I would have iced it more or, I mean, because I don't know what I would have done with it. You know, wrapping it wasn't going to do anything. Um, (laughs) It was an impact injury. And I don't know that I could have changed the course of that. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that I am so active, I'm sure that aggravated it. You know, um, those two bones, that joint has been compromised. And maybe if I wasn't dancing five days a week, it would have come on slower. But Mm -hmm. I truly think that over time, that was just kind of the fate of that toe. You know, I don't know that there's much that I could have done physiologically to change the action of those bone spurs coming on, but I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, not a physicist, but I'm not, I don't know that much about physiology or physics, frankly, uh, what would have happened with that long-term. But it it seems that that was just sort of the result of that injury. Right, right. So let me actually see if I can add something to that process or that question. It was a great question and a good answer, Kathy. Uh, Everything when the body goes through a process. When a bone is injured, it's a very complex process to get it to come back to normal, any, any tissue, but let's just focus on bone for a moment. If there's, there's different types of damage, there can be a compression damage where a large object or a heavy object falls on you, for example, just like it did with you. There could be something with a sharp instrument that cuts something, or there could be uh, different ways that you can damage bone. And the process, it's very complex, but it, it's usually, there are three phases to the uh, bone healing process. The first phase is always the inflammatory phase where the body recognizes there's an injury, blood supply goes to the area and brings certain chemicals that start an anti-inflammatory process to uh, get rid of any damage cells and to prevent bacteria or infection from coming in. And it also lays the groundwork for the next two parts. The next part is where uh, bone is or pre-bone cells start being put into the area to uh, replace the bones that were damaged and and, uh, lost. So bone starts being laid down through the blood supply and other mechanisms 
in that area, but it's very soft. It's not shaped in any way. And then the third process is what we call bone modeling, where the bone actually takes on the shape of whatever bone uh, was injured or whatever parts were injured. So the first part, inflammatory and anti-inflammatory. Second part is production of bone. And the third part is remodeling. Within those concepts, uh, the very first part is to allow the inflammatory process to go. So many people nowadays, immediately when they get hurt, they take an anti-inflammatory. And I don't always think that's a great idea because inflammation is part of the body's way of healing things. It brings things into the area that, that are necessary for healing. But certainly taking something for pain rather than anti-inflammatory is not a bad idea. But the other part that's very important at, at that point is immobilization and allowing uh, for everything to just calm down and relax and not to continuously injure. When you injure something during the first phase and the inflammatory phase and the anti-inflammatory phase, that causes other problems. It doesn't allow it to heal correctly. If you injure it or re-injure it during the bone production phase, that also causes problems. You can create too much bone being produced because the body is getting a message, not enough bone, we need more. And if you injure it during the remodeling phase, then you can get abnormal deformities in the bone. So uh, very briefly saying that had you done certain things, there is a possibility that you might not have gone through all of this. We certainly can't say 100%, but we can say that most likely if you really did ideally the things that could have been done, you may not have had this problem. But even if you allowed it to heal and then went and continued back with your dancing and everything else, you may have re-injured an area and over time the same thing might have happened. Well. That's so cool. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> no, that's right. I love, oh, I'm such a medical nerd. Okay, so that's so fascinating. Okay, so somehow immobilizing it. So had I actually wrapped it or stayed off of it or done those sorts of things, then 25 years later, that might not have been set up for bone spurs. Exactly. Hmm. <clears throat> and and that goes for other <laughs> other things too. But again, you know, it's, uh, as you said, you have to, make decisions, your risk-benefit ratios and all sorts of things. And certainly one of the biggest difficulties is to explain to a 20-year-old anything, (laughs) (laughs) let alone what it's going to be like in 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 more years, uh, not necessarily in your case. So now, uh, did that answer your question, Christina? Yes. Now I'm worried. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it's not well, hitting me now, but boy, <laughs> you got problems in your future. Oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe there's still time. Well, and I also assume that so much of this is just cumulative over our lives because I was, my mother's dream was for me to be a dancer. Gee, I wonder where I get it. Um, and you know, I had point <laughs> shoes strapped on my feet at a relative, you know, a, a reasonable age, but a relatively young age, I was put in toe shoes oh, where wow. I was up on my toes with the wooden bait, you know, doing all that stuff. Yeah. So from all the years of that, mm-hmm. that's probably not real helpful for the, the big toe either. You know, I was constantly rolling off my little toe and twisting ankles and, uh, you know, so I think it was just all those years of that kind of activity, and I've never been a sit down and be still person. You're, I'm surprised I haven't jumped up and run around the room yet just during the show. Uh, so I think, you know, all that's cumulative, and 
because we are all so physiologically different, who knows what's going to affect me that might not affect the other person that was in point shoes when they were 13. You know, so it's, it's so fascinating to, to examine all these different people's bodies and see what affects one person that might not be a problem for someone else. It's so fascinating to me. It is. And also to think, you know, we, especially in medicine and orthopedics, we focus a lot on the contact sports and the dangers of certain contact sports, football and, and concussions and head injuries and broken bones here and there and tennis with, uh, knee and ankle and wrist and elbow injuries and, and back injuries, all of these things. We rarely look at dancers. And boy, <laughs> the, you know, the dancers, uh, they have some amazing issues that go on throughout their lives. You know, at, the, at an early age, when the girls and the boys are being put on toe or on point, uh, that, that's not the normal way our body should be. And, what? <laughs> uh, uh, okay, well, maybe we can edit that part out. <laughs> we'll only well, edit no, it, it for the dancers. Uh, right. No, but it, but you're right. And it's so funny because I've tried to do yoga. And in yoga, there's such a specific structure to it. And they want your knees to go over your toes with your toes pointing forward. And I don't go that way. And so many times they put your knees over your toes. I'm like, are you looking at me? It doesn't go that way. My <laughs> hips are very open. I'm incredibly flexible. Um, but I'm not, um, you know, physiologically correct, uh, because I grew up in a completely different position that most other people did. And this is why, I mean, I can wear five inch heels and I am so comfortable. It feels good on my feet. Now it feels good on my calves and people say, Oh, it's really bad for your legs. And I'm like, but please understand I was in this position growing up on point. My calves are so short, you know, shortened muscles and so tight from dancing all these years. That's a comfortable position for me. So when people say, you know, everybody should do this, everybody should wear these type mm -hmm. of shoes, nobody should wear heels. I, you know, it sounds logical on one hand, but on the other mm -hmm. hand, we have to look at the individual and say, well, but this is what I grew up doing. So it's, uh, it's kind of the exception, not the rule. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's difficult for me because as a doctor, I certainly want to uh, recommend not wearing five inch heels, but as a guy <laughs> <laughs> and appreciating women in their five and six inch heels, uh, We'll go on because I don't have an answer for that. No, I want to know where this is going. <laughs> well, I, I'd have to say then in that particular case, wear the heels. We have surgeons that can help you later. <laughs> but this is for my own personal gratification and for, and for all other people out there that enjoy seeing uh, people in five and six inch heels. But, but, I, but I, I agree with you, Kathy, because I've had that said to me quite often in my life. I didn't do ballet, but the, I have a certain makeup in my body where I feel much more comfortable in heels. I mean, I love my runners, don't get me wrong. And I love, I love my sports and everything. But if I spend too long in those, I actually end up with a backache. Whereas if I'm in heels, I mean, they told me when I was pregnant, oh, you're not going to be wearing those three inch heels you know, very much longer. And at that time I was already four months pregnant. I wore those three inch heels till I gave birth. I mean, it was like, I feel really comfortable. I can still do the tree pose in my three inch heels pregnant. You know, it's yeah. fine. So I, I believe that it's, um, I agree with you that it's uh, to each his own. <laughs> yeah. Just out of curiosity, did you wear the heels during the delivery? Almost. Excellent. <laughs> Let's move forward before we get a different rating for this show. Yeah, I think something's happening here. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you could be right. So, all right. So uh, I digress. <laughs> Happily, but I digress. Yeah. Uh, so let's move back now. You you finally made the decision when you thought orthopedic surgeon. Clearly, you were now thinking of uh, okay, maybe there's a steroid, maybe there's something else they can do. But certainly, surgery was in the back of your mind. You were ready to do this. So, what does it take to uh, come to that point? Yeah, a lot um, because I'm to me, and I've said this so many times before, you know, to me, drugs and surgery is truly a last resort for things unless it's a life-threatening issue. You know, if you have a gunshot wound, don't come to me for a homeopathic. Please go to an emergency room. Um, if it's something that that is going to get worse, 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 if it's certain types of back injuries, certain disc problems, let's get you to a surgeon. Um, if things like massage and uh, hot soaks and chiropractic is not going to help it. And I got to a point where um, I've had surgery before. I had a meniscus tear in my knee where I spent about six years doing chiropractic and massage and stretching and wrapping and everything I could possibly do. And then finally went, you know, this is ridiculous this is affecting my quality of life. I can't walk downstairs. I can't dance. We need to get this knee fixed. So I had already gone through that process previously. So it was easier to now get to the point with the toe where I went, look, I've done the orthopedic thing before. That's a surgery that I know is going to be successful with me. I looked into it. I talked to the surgeon. I trusted the surgeon. Um, and I said, okay, let's do it. It took me a little bit because when I met with him last year, he took an x-ray. He said, you know, this is what the surgery is. And I went, yeah, 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 okay. And didn't do anything about it. And I think it was after the cruise where I stubbed my toe and thought I was absolutely going to die where I said, okay, it's time. This is ridiculous. I can't even, you know, bump my toe now without it hurting so horribly. So I scheduled the surgery. And, uh, once I scheduled it, I'm very comfortable when I make decisions like that. It didn't freak me out. I wasn't scared about it. Um, I do a lot of prep and a lot of my own healing work in and around surgery, uh, which I know one of the things we wanted to talk about is how I healed so quickly. So I'm now at not even six weeks out from the surgery. Don't uh, tell us. Don't tell us. We want to, Everybody's waiting for this. Uh, for unfolding. In. Yeah, okay. for this unfolding. Uh, I do want to bring up one other point, though, that I think is one of the most important things for people to always consider. When something is wrong, certainly there are many healers out there. There are various types of healers and various ways that we're going to talk about. And we've talked about on this show, giving examples of homeopathy, naturopathy, chiropractic, shamanic healing, traditional Asian medicine, Ayurvedic healings, nutritional healings, many things out there that people can do. For me, the important thing is first to have the data that tells you what's wrong. Uh, many times, you know, as you alluded to before, people can massage uh, a torn meniscus forever, and it may not heal. So, but if you don't know that it's a torn meniscus, you may continue to do that and sometimes time is of the essence, especially when I've seen with back injuries where a nerve is involved. The sooner that somebody has a procedure done uh, to repair a nerve or to repair a disc, in certain cases, the better the result. The longer you wait with the anti-inflammatories and a lot of the physical therapy and the cortisone shots, when you finally get to a point of the surgery, 
uh, you may not get the result that you might have had earlier. But again, there is that point where you may have the possibility of healing something or improving it. But I think that the bottom line for me is before you start figuring out many things after a period of time, uh, get the true diagnosis. And then you can sit back and decide if you want to see various types of healers once you have the diagnosis and you could figure out how that plays out. So, so you talked about uh, once you made the diagnosis and the doctor told you, here's the surgery, here's what we're going to do. How did you prepare for this? Yeah. And just to go back, I completely agree with you. And I have had so many clients in my office that say, can you fix my back? And I say, well, but what's wrong with it? <laughs> you know, have right. you had an MRI? Have you been to a doctor? Same thing with knees. Um, you know, and just to, to throw in a side note, I had a client who came with really horrible shoulder pain. And I know she works at a desk. She overworks her shoulders. She thought she tore something doing yoga. And it was a really simple pose. It wasn't anything tremendously stressful on the body. And I thought, ah, I don't know that you tore something. And I massaged it. And it continued to get worse. And she went to her chiropractor and continued to get worse and worse and worse and worse. She could barely lay on my table. And I said, look, you need to get this checked. She went and got an MRI. She has a tumor on her spine. Absolutely. Surprise. You know, um, not what I was expecting to get from the MRI, but, you know, she could have gone to alternative practitioners forever <laughs> and right. never known that she had this problem. Now, that's a rare thing, uh, you know, and I, I, I'm trying not to tell my clients that because I don't want them to think, you know, suddenly I'll you know, get paranoid that they've got tumors all over their body. But, you know, it's a reality. We don't always know the underlying cause. Same thing with headaches. You know, hey, you get one headache, you have jaw tension, I get rid of it, that's fine. It becomes a chronic thing. Please go check and see if you have a brain tumor or a meningitis or, you know, I love to know underlying causes, and I think I'm one of those rare massage therapists who I don't just rub people and send them on their way. I really look at it as healthcare, and I want to be a caregiver and a caretaker to people, and having a diagnosis, key to doing that. So I completely agree with you. And but I, yes. and I, I would also say that anybody that watches uh, the previous shows that we did with you clearly know that you're a healer at a high level. I try. <laughs> yeah, and and there's another there's another part to this that uh, just to follow up on that, you get the MRI and you see a brain or you or you see a tumor, something totally unexpected. At that point, people still have options. People may not want to have the surgery and may still want to do other other types of modalities of healing, which is okay. Also, once you have the information, but the idea of trying to find a healing when you don't know what you're actually healing is very important. So how did you prepare? So how I prepared. So um, I think mindset is one of the most important things for everything. Um, and, you know, so much of my writing is about the mind-body connection and positive things. But interestingly, the first thing I did once I had a diagnosis, once I knew that the pain was no longer necessary, pain is an indication there's a problem. Pain is saying, hey, hello, there's an issue. Why don't you go get this fixed, get this looked at, get this diagnosed? As soon as I knew what the problem was, I told my body, okay, I don't need this pain anymore. So I did a hypnotherapy session, and I gave myself an anchor to turn off the pain when I had it, knowing that I was the surgery was scheduled, it was being taken care of, the pain is not telling me anything I didn't already know, so I turned off the pain. And I actually did this for about three weeks leading up to the surgery. I seriously had no pain in the toe. No pain. I could do dance class. I could jump. I could run. I stubbed it. Had no pain. I would use my anchor to turn it off if it would start to come on. It worked. 
And I think it worked only because I knew that it was going to be addressed, that the pain was not telling me anything. You don't want to turn off pain if you don't know what the pain is telling you. Um, again, going back to something like headaches or the shoulder pain, you know, had I turned off her pain <laughs> mm-hmm. and she never went for the MRI and she has this tumor on her spine, you know, that would have been a nightmare. So the hypnotherapy was fabulous. And I just got certified as a hypnotherapist. So I've been using that a lot in my practice. But that was the first thing I did was, okay, now let's get rid of this discomfort. Now let's deal with the symptom. Let's turn off the pain. And then I prepped for surgery from there. Did you, was it self-hypnosis or did you go to a hypnotherapist? It was self-hypnosis um, because through the course of the program, I had been doing so much hypnotherapy. I'm so now incredibly able to be hypnotized that I actually just turned it off on my own, which not everyone can do. I mean, you can certainly do like a guided visualization or imagery and stuff like that to lessen the pain. Um, I actually had the ability to hypnotize myself and give myself those post-hypnotic suggestions of the anchor and the pain. And anybody who is worth their salt who does hypnotherapy can help you with pain management. That's that's one of the things we can specialize in with that. Is there a temptation to say, whoa, it's not hurting anymore and I'm dancing and I'm kicking and, <laughs> and it doesn't hurt my husband mainly. Right. Uh, well, maybe I won't have the surgery and I'll just keep stay hypnotized forever. Right. Well, you know, and it's funny you say that. And it, you put my husband in that sense because I came home from dance class and he said, how's your foot? And I said, it feels great. I said, I was able to turn off the pain. I said, I have this anchor now where I can turn off the pain. And he goes, oh, good. You don't need the surgery. And I said, no, I didn't turn off the bone spurs. I turned off the pain. And basically the deal with my subconscious was, okay, you know you're getting this addressed. Let's have a couple weeks leading up to the surgery with no pain. It was sort of a little gift to myself. So no, I did not at all consider not having the surgery because it wasn't going to fix the underlying issue. And I knew the pain was going to come back had I not dealt with the the bone spurs. I think, you know, in preparing for surgery, there are many things that I do for my clients and for myself. But before I talk about that, I'd be interested in, you've already mentioned the hypnotherapy. What other things did you do to prepare yourself? Yeah, I made sure uh, that I went to my body workers ahead of time. So the night before my surgery, I went to my massage therapist and he did some really great work on the foot. He relaxed that plantar tendon. He relaxed my calf. We made sure that my low back and everything was in a, in great shape. And I also did a chiropractic visit that day before as well, because I wanted to make sure my spine was aligned. All the nerves are going to where they're supposed to go. The spinal fluid was flowing the way it should. Uh, to me, you want to get your body in the absolute optimal position you can to make sure that you're going to do well with the surgery. So I also started to do Reiki on my foot as well in preparation for the surgery uh, because I figured, you know, let's get the energy going in that way. I hit it with a lot of things. Um, During my massage, I listened to a pre-op hypnosis tape. And then I also use those tapes while I am in the surgery. So it's a whole series of tapes. There's a pre-op, a post-op, and an intra-op. And I use those as well. Um, So before I dive, what I did during the surgery, do you want to, is there anything else? Should I keep going? No, let me uh, just mention uh, that uh, pre-op is very important to get yourself prepared both body, mind, and spirit uh, in many ways with visualizations. And also, mm-hmm. aside from aligning the body, I think to try and be in the healthiest position you can to prepare for the anesthesia, that's making sure your nutrition is good. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're a smoker, stop smoking for a while. If you're a diabetic, good idea to make sure your blood sugar is under control. If you have any other conditions, Um, And especially if you've had other surgeries and you know how you come out of those surgeries. So the more things that you do going in that put you in a better position, 
both in always in body, mind, and spirit, the better opportunity you're going to have for uh, a good surgical procedure. Uh, part of my visualizations always are the pre-op visualizations, making sure you're getting rid of anxiety and fears and negative thoughts, negative worries, et cetera, to work on that with uh, either visualizations or meditations. And, bef- you know, we talk about nutrition, but also realizing, did you have general anesthesia or was it a epidural or a local? No, they did a local and a little, little bit of twilight. I said, the least you knock me out, the happier I'll be. Um, right. Because I also wanted to see that if I did have pain during the surgery, and I actually woke up halfway through the surgery, mm-hmm. if I could turn off the pain. It was sort of a little game for me at that point. I was like, oh, let's see if I could do this. Um, and I guess I must have made a face because that was the last thing I remember. So I'm okay. sure the anesthesiologist is like, oh, she shouldn't be making that face. And I was right. out. Yeah, time time to take her back out. So um, the other thing I did pre-surgery was I started taking a supplement called B, F, and C, uh, which stands for bone, flesh, and cartilage. I have been using this supplement since I was in college, and it is phenomenal at helping all the tissues heal and things regenerate quicker. Um, I had my homeopathic arnica on hand, the cream and the little pill, the little homeopathic pills, and I think I started taking those probably about two days before the surgery as well. So I hit it with everything. I hit it with everything. Okay, so Um, now we're in surgery then. Yep. So you had your surgery? Had my surgery. I listened to my uh, intra-op hypnotherapy tape, which, and I've never listened to it, the whole thing, awake, because, you know, you're normally unconscious when you're hearing it. But, you know, I had my headset on, and, you know, the anesthesiologist said, when do you need to push play on that? And I said, I need to push play on that right before you knock me out. And he goes, and go. So Uh I hit play and listened to the tape throughout, and then the nurse who was with me had specific instructions to put the post-op tape in afterwards. And the last time I listened to it, it brought me out of anesthesia so fast. I think it was for my thyroid surgery. It brought me out of anesthesia so fast. I actually startled the nurse because all I remember hearing on the tape was, and you'll be wide awake now. And my eyes popped open and I'm like, I'm wide awake. And so I turned, I turned to the nurse who was sitting there and I went, Hey, She jumps, a magazine goes flying. I mean, I scared the absolute bejesus out of her. And she said, what? I didn't expect you awake for another half an hour. What are you listening to? And I went, I don't know. Um, So I wasn't groggy. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't having any pain or anything like that. And um, so I had my post-op tape. Love this tape series. I think it's from the Monroe Institute. It's something called Hemisync, which Mm. has tones and music that activates both sides of the brain. So it gives you information like, you know, this, you will heal quickly. Uh, pain is, is to be interpreted as sensations of healing. You know, so much of it is how we, how we view and how we perceive going into the surgery. Oh, and I did want to mention what the doctor said about the pain pills, too. So you tell me when you want me to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk that, about that in post-op. Yeah. Did he speak to you Perfect. about that beforehand or, yeah. yes. or after? Beforehand. Okay, so... Let's go back there then. Let's yeah. talk about what the doctor talked to you about and preparing yeah, you inter- for how you're going to be after surgery. Right. He told me that I would be in a special shoe for four to six weeks. And I looked at him and I went, oh, okay, so two weeks. And he goes, N- no, like I didn't hear him, F- four to six. And I said, no, I, I heard you, two. I said, I plan on being back in regular shoes in two weeks. And he goes, hmm. Well, I 
guess that could happen. And I said, okay. He said, now I want you to go pick up these pain meds. I prescribed you pain meds. And I said, okay. I said, you know, uh, I'm not a huge fan of pain meds. I'm probably not going to need them. He goes, no, no, no. You ha- I want you to go pick these up. You- we need to go get this filled before the surgery. And I went, okay. So I went over to the, the pharmacy and I picked it up. He had prescribed me 60 Vicodin. 60 Vicodin for an inch and a half incision on my toe. And my thought was, my God, who needs 60 Vicodin for this? Is it that painful? And then I thought about it and realized, well, you know, what is the inference with that? I'm not particularly susceptible to negative input. I'm not susceptible to what people tell me that are against what I believe. But for other people who are already scared about the surgery or uneasy about the surgery, what they heard was, oh my God, this is going to be so painful. Here's all these meds. You're going to need them. Um, And I'm wondering, and I don't have any proof of this, but I'm wondering how much our pain level is affected by that type of input. I expected to not have any pain. I expected to not need the pills. But for someone that doesn't know what they're going in for, does that kind of programming, you know, it, it, it seemed a little bit much as opposed to, eh, you might have some discomfort after the surgery. I'm going to give you five Vicodin. If you need them, take them. If you need more, that's fine, but you probably won't. Would that not make a different outcome than, oh my God, go get these. Here's 60 Vicodin. <laughs> you know, I just, I have to wonder about the outcomes on, on that type of inference um, with healthcare professionals. That's a, that's a really good point. I think uh, part of this is that the doctors are sometimes manifesting from their patients. And over a period of time and experience over many years of seeing people that come and and aren't aware that there's going to be pain and have pain, and then they have to deal with the pain and then try and find the doctor to get the prescription and then get the prescription. And by that time, they've been in pain for hours, having discussions with family members. Oh, I don't need the pain. Oh, yes, you do. Let's get it. Let's find the doctor. Many things. So over time, the doctors have taken on this. It's almost a defensive maneuver. And uh, in preparation, hoping that they're going to uh, prepare you in the right way, sometimes by doing that, they have the sense of subliminally saying to you, as you pointed out, you're going to be in a lot of pain and uh, this is going to cover it. So that is a very great point to discuss with the doctor. Yeah, I found it fascinating because I I only realized that afterwards because I ended up not needing any of them. I took a little bit of Advil. I think I maybe took in the first five days of surgery, maybe 12 Advil over those five days, which compared to 60 Vicodin, you know, um, <laughs> a little bit of a difference. Um, I really didn't have much pain after the surgery. I seriously didn't. And when I went back to him for my follow-up, since we've moved out of the surgery into post-op, um, right. Uh, you know, I went back to him four days afterwards and he unwrapped it and he looked at it and he literally almost gasped and went, wow, that looks really good. Okay. Start moving it. Whereas he told me pre-op, I probably wouldn't be able to move it at all till at least two weeks. So here we are four days after the surgery, he's stunned at how it looks and he's telling me to start moving it already. So what I did when I got home from the surgery, I love using ice. So I iced quite a bit. Um, I took my homeopathic Arnica. I used Arnica cream wherever I could get it to. You certainly, of course, you don't want to put that on a brand new incision, but I was putting it around the area and I did acupuncture and I did Reiki Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, I didn't listen to the post-op tape. There's a, there's a post 
post-op tape, um, mainly for pain control, but I didn't have any pain, so I didn't listen to that. Um, but I really worked it. I mean, I took, literally, I had the surgery on a Thursday. I saw a client on Friday. I went and shot archery on Sunday, and I was back to full client load on Monday without any pain. <laughs> so, and it's so funny because people say, oh, well, that's just you. You're the exception, da, 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 da. I think truly we can all do this. I really believe we have the ability to do this. And what's kind of fun is the doctor was stunned at how I was recovering. I had another client who the following week with the same doctor, the same issue with her toe, the exact same surgery, I told her, I said, try this, follow everything that I do and see if you don't recover the same way I do. She is literally a week behind me and she's exactly at the same place as I was at that milestone. Again, the doctor turns to her and says, oh, well, you're the exception, not the rule. And I'm thinking, okay, but now we're two exceptions. Why don't we try to make us the rule? Why don't we try to encourage people? And it took work. It wasn't me just laying around taking the Vicodin and being waited on. I worked for my own healing as well, as did this other client of mine who had the same procedure. But it's like, I want to encourage people. There are things you can do. There are steps you can take to heal the same way I did. So like I started to say before, here I am less than six weeks out from the surgery. I'm, I was in regular shoes at less than two weeks. Um, I have almost full range of motion back so that it totally matches the other foot, which I didn't even have pre-surgery because the toe wouldn't bend. Um, I've worn heels to events now where I'm in heels for six or seven hours. Um, I'm back to dance class. I'm back to flying trapeze. And I have very little, if any, pain. A little bit after dance class, you know, I ice and I still wrap it occasionally. But the healing has been so rapid compared to what I was told to expect. And it's exciting for me because if I can do it, other people can do it to some degree as well. I think this is the real crux of the whole uh, episode today. This is what I wanted to talk about. When you and I discussed uh, this episode before a little bit, the point that came up to me was you're the exception to the rule. And you took, you believe that you, uh, that other people, that that should become the rule. And I think the way that is, is in this particular case, you are the exception to the rule. And the reason I say that is because the rule is so far that most people don't do all of the pre-op work, don't do the intraoperative work, and don't do all of the post-op work. Most people make the diagnosis with the doctor, listen to the doctor, and wait for the surgery, have the surgery, and take the medication, do the follow-ups and everything else. But at the same time, they're also trying to get back to work as quickly as possible. And so that is the normal rule. What we really want to have is to change what the normal rule is so that you are no longer the exception. When people do all of the work that they need to do pre, intra, and post-operatively, then that would be the rule. But right now, I think you are still the exception. So, the, <laughs> uh, But for a different set of rules, if, people, if yeah. we can change the rules, then that's different. So one of the questions I have for you now is you are a healer. So you are a Reiki master and you're involved with people that are healers, chiropractors, and acupuncturists, et cetera, et cetera. What about somebody that has never done all of this before and they're about to have surgery? Uh, should they be thinking, well, should I line myself up? I'm having 
bone spurs taken care of? Do I need to go see a brand new acupuncturist, a new chiropractor, get some Reiki, do this, do that, get all these tapes just before a surgery? Or is this something you need to do as your general lifestyle? I think it's great if we could have it as a general lifestyle. I mean, I think we all need to have a team, you know, just like we don't take our car to our accountant, we have different professionals that do and help us with different aspects of our lives. So I think it's fabulous to have a team. And even if we don't already have a massage therapist and a chiropractor and acupuncturist, we have friends who do, or we have colleagues who do. And, you know, I have had massage clients call me completely out of the blue, people I've never met before and say, I'm about to go into labor and I need a prenatal massage now. Can you see me? And at times where I actually had those types of openings in my practice, I would do that. Um, Or, you know what, I'm getting ready for a marathon and I realize I need to get some work done before I run. To me, it's the same thing as surgery. You you have to prepare for it in the same way that you're going to prepare for a race. Uh, You know, you're not just going to wake up one morning and go, I think I'm going to run a marathon today with poor diet and no training and no prep for it. Um, you want to get your body, and you mentioned this too, with the quitting smoking and the, the nutrition and, and you know laying off alcohol for a couple of days or you know whatever you need to do to prepare. I think you can always find practitioners who are good at what they do, who can step in in that type of situation and help you. Um, you have to look for them. But you also have to make that a priority. And there are plenty of people who are so happy, and this isn't a judgment call, it's just a different way of looking at it, really happy to just take the pills and, and be in the special shoe for four to six weeks and um, not push themselves any further than that. That's that's a totally acceptable way to go. I don't choose that way. I wanted to be back to my activity as quick as I could. and I And part of it was I wanted to see if I could do it. It was kind of an experiment. You know, I wanted to see if when I said to the doctor, I'll be in a regular shoe in two weeks, I wanted to see if I could do it. And then I wanted to see if my client could do it. Because it's one thing for me, okay, I'm the exception, not the rule. I'm a healer. She's not. Um, So that she's had now almost an identical outcome. She's a little bit behind me. Um, An almost identical outcome to me means that if I can do it and she can do it, more people can do it if you want to go that route. And to me, it's about options. You know, it's about having different choices to make with our healing and with the lifestyle that we live. And he was also an exceptional surgeon. I mean, he did an amazing job. How much did that contribute to it? You know, it's all about the choices we make and what we want our outcomes to be. And I really believe, for the most part, we can program our outcomes. And I did that. I I set my milestones and I knew what I wanted to achieve. And I worked hard to get there. Um, I didn't just lay back and let things happen to me, which a lot of people do, which is just a different choice. It's a different journey. I agree with all of that. And always, it's great to have a great doctor that does wonderful work. Uh, Your concept of choices is important. I would add to that, although you alluded to it, participation. You have to be part of your own healing. There's no question about it for me. But what I would like to do now, Kathy, if you don't mind, is I would like to set up uh, an episode in about 15 to 20 years with you because, uh, <laughs> okay, because I'll pencil that in. <laughs> yes, pencil that in right now, because again, we talk about how the bone heals and mm-hmm. there's the inflammatory phase, there's the production of bone phase, and there's the remodeling phase. So it will be interesting from the healing phase. You have clearly pointed out both with yourself and your friend that things can be done better for healing. But then there's the long-term healing, and that's the part that we still have to answer right now. 
Uh, and it'll be interesting for me to see how you are in a few years. I'm certainly hoping that you're going to be okay. Yep. And I and it's funny you bring that because I pondered that. I pondered if, okay, is the downside of having less pain or no pain, of course, when you have no pain, you go, hey, I'm great, and you go back to your activity. Right. Is long-term that going to be an issue, that I went back to dance class in two weeks? Um, but I've also been doing the therapy along with that. I've been moving it the way he wants me to. I've been icing. Um, after dance class, I make sure I rest it. I wrap it really tight for about an hour or two afterwards. I give it that time to heal. So we'll see. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens in 15 years. And I, I did ponder that. I did ponder if that's the downside of not having pain is you rush it. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> We're speaking with Dr. Kathy Groover, a licensed uh, massage therapist, a naturopath, a Reiki master, an award-winning author, lecturer, and it's time to hear one of your health tips, Kathy. My health tip, and it has to go with what we just talked about, is choice. Know that you have choices in your life. You have choices of fabulous doctors. You have choices of nutrition. You have choices with every inhale you take. You have the option to make a different life for yourself and to create a different outcome. And you might not think you have the greatest choices. <laughs> they might not always look so rosy, but you do have choices. And it's simply a matter of making the choice that's the best for you at that moment moving forward through it and knowing that again you'll have another choice and it life has to be about options and participation and making those choices beautiful is there anything that uh in preparing for this episode that we didn't get to cover that you wanted to quickly mention oh no you know i don't think so uh, uh it was so much a mindset i mean it really was and programming myself and then taking the physical steps whether it was the acupuncture the chiropractic and i don't know that one thing worked better than the other you know that would be the next experiment is okay only do half the things how much did the tapes work versus the reiki versus the chiropractic you know i don't know which um piece put it all together but i know i tried multiple pieces and i had a really good outcome We'll see what happens in 15 years, but right now I feel pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. I've done, uh, in my work, when I've had to go through surgeries or healings of certain types, I've done a number of things uh, all at the same time. And people always ask me, which one do you think is the best or which one do you mm -hmm. think really helped you the most? And for me, it's all of them as a combination. Yeah. I'm very grateful to our special guest, Kathy Groover, Dr. Groover, for sharing her wisdom and expertise and her experience with us as a patient today. Uh, I would also like to thank my healers and my teachers for allowing me to be on my journey and take me where I am today. I look forward to getting together with all of you and with Christina and Yoga Hub and uh, the entire team next week as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. Thank you so much, Kathy. Uh, and to everyone else, I wish you all <laughs> optimal health. Thank you so much, Kathy, for another great show. Wow. You guys are so welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. I'll see you in 15 years. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, thank you, Glenn, Dr. Glenn Woolman, for hosting such a wonderful show. Um, and of course, to each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. If you would like to connect with Kathy Groover, please do so at her website, thealternativemedicinecabinet.com, thealternativemedicinecabinet.com.
www.thedrwoolman.com. And of course, if you'd like to connect with our Dr. Glenn Woolman, you can do so through his website, glennwoolman.com, where we encourage you to learn about his metaphor, Square Breath. Again, we're always grateful for any feedback, comments, suggestions. Please give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Until next time, namaste. In the natural and homeopathic model of, of healing, there is such a respect for the human body and for that doctor inside us that we assume that whatever symptoms we have aren't the result of breakdown of the body, but they're the effort of our body to try and defend itself and to try and heal. Now, that doesn't mean that that symptom, that fever, that headache, that high blood pressure will necessarily heal us but that it is an effort of our body-mind to try and defend itself and to try and heal. 